Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're joined by Lawanda Hollister. She is an incoming student at Eastern Michigan University and a cook who is working on starting her own food truck business. She is here with us today to share her story and insight on what it's like to grow up in prison. I'm Bhavna. And I'm Vendela. And this is Women's Health Incarcerated. Wait, Lawanda, where are you right now? Are you in Michigan or somewhere else? Yeah, I'm in Michigan. <laughs> gotcha. The same place I was incarcerated for a, a billion years. Yeah. Yes. I am in, in is y'all in Michigan? Yeah, yeah. I'm in I'm in Michigan. Okay. I'm actually in Virginia. Virginia? Oh. <laughs> That's why your nails are all shiny and nice and sunny light. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I painted them bright orange to mimic the sun because the weather's been nicer here and it's making me very oh, happy. Oh, <laughs> yes. Got that Virginia in you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's actually get started. Hi, Lawanda. How are you? Hello. I'm fine. And you? I'm doing well. Been having a pretty decent day so far. Um. So why don't you actually just start us off by filling us in on what you've been up to recently. So I know that when we first spoke to each other, you mentioned you recently came back home in May of 2020. So what have you been up to since then? Well, since I've been home, I have been in a struggle to get identification, birth certificates, and things of that nature, and um, housing, and, you know, several issues that I've ran into to try to get myself back on track. Mm -hmm. Other than that, medically, I have just begun to see a doctor Mm -hmm. because I didn't receive a full physical or anything once um, I came home. I believe January I started seeing her from the University of Michigan. That's awesome. And it also must have been a really weird past year for you to come home to since, you know, the world has basically been shut down because of the pandemic. Yes, because it was my first medical visit with the doctor on Zoom. And I didn't really know how that would work. Yeah. Or I really thought that it was going to be worthless and waste of time. But it actually turned out to be one of the best visits that I've ever had in my life. Hmm. So she was very attentive. And she answered a lot of questions and explained a lot of things to me. And we went over a lot of information. And I was surprised Mm -hmm. and happy with the results. And my doctor, Mm -hmm. I like my doctor. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, it's very encouraging to hear. Yes, so... She's out of the University of Michigan, which they are a 
fabulous school. Mm-hmm. Though I go to Eastern <laughs> um, University of Michigan. <laughs> University of Michigan, as far as their medical, is extremely well established. It's a beautiful school. Yeah. And wait, did I hear you say that you're going to Eastern Michigan right now? Yes. I haven't begun yet, um, but I'm enrolled to start in a program in which they have offered for returning citizens. Gotcha. So I'll be attending Eastern trying to complete my bachelor's degree in business. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really They're cool. They're an awesome school, too. Let me make sure I put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they definitely are. Wow, very exciting things in store. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so I was wondering if we could actually backtrack a little here and talk a bit more about your experience being incarcerated. And to start off, could you tell us how long you were incarcerated? Yes, absolutely. I was incarcerated for 34 years in Michigan Department of Correction. Mm-hmm. I went in a couple months after my 17th birthday. So I was incarcerated from 17 to 52. And I was released in May of 2020. Wow, that's a long time. 34 years. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about what that experience was like being in prison for that long and growing up and becoming an adult while you were on the inside, specifically in terms of, you know, the kind of health care that you may have received? Well, when you begin at 17, you're not thinking about medical issues. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not thinking about your health issues because you're you're young. You're basically still a kid. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I didn't have to deal with medical issues. And if I something was wrong with me, I told mom, mom it took me to the doctor. And so that was that. Right. But when you're incarcerated and the staff or the healthcare, I won't even say the staff, I'll say it's the healthcare, the procedures and the policies for the way they do things is poor. For an example, I had silver crowns on all of my molar teeth in the back. The dentist said that they had continued to rot up under the crowns, but I couldn't get them removed because I hadn't turned 18 yet. And Mm -hmm. even though I was in the care of the facility, they couldn't give medical permission to have them removed. Hmm. So... I had to wait till I turned 18 to have my teeth done. So that was like one of my very first experiences medically. And it was basically like that throughout the whole, you know, incarceration. There's always an issue. You know, I don't want to seem as if I'm coming down on the Michigan Department of Corrections and oh, how bad they are. You know, we're suffering and 
etc., so on and so forth. However, I feel like the procedures and the policies that they have in place don't actually do what they're one designed to do and they don't do what they actually say they do. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have the caps replaced or the teeth fixed. I had to have them removed because they only do fillings and extractions. Anything else is considered uh, surgical and you have to have a whole lot of approval for that. Hmm. So, so it basically sounds pretty inefficient and inadequate. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of hoops and, and things that you have to go through in order to receive any type of medical assistance. Mm-hmm. For example, as I got older, um, I started developing these little bumps on my feet. And I went to the doctor and they told me that I had, um, it's a form of eczema and it's caused by a nervous condition, which means that I was bringing it onto myself. Hmm. A blistering eczema, that's the name of it. And that's caused by stress? Yes, and it's, it's caused by stress, which blistering eczema actually is something. Mm-hmm. And so for over 10 years, I walked around believing I had blistering eczema mm-hmm. and that I was causing it myself. And when I got out and I was able to see my medical doctor here, the very first thing she said when she looked at my feet is, you don't have blistering eczema. She said, you have athlete's feet. Oh, my God. (laughs) So it's like something as simple as that. So I've been walking around 10 years with athlete's feet when you could have simply did as the doctor here did gave me a antibiotic and a cream and it cleared up within a matter of a week. Wow. But I've been walking around with this for 10 years. Yeah. That's such an unnecessary amount of time to be stuck with this pain. And it sounds like you couldn't even do much else in this case since they're the experts in this situation. Yes, I wouldn't say they're experts, (laughs) but Um, I'm biased in this situation, but they are the people in the position to tell me someone in a lesser position about my health. Right. So, you know, I've had multiple issues with going to the healthcare there. And it's hard going from 17 to 52, Yeah, you know, changing. You're on that concrete, that cement and metal all day, every day for, in my case, 34 years. And that's hard on your body. So, you know, you develop issues. 
Mm-hmm. Right. There was a young lady, she was a friend. She had uh, been incarcerated a couple years more than me. And she also had came in as a teen. And a month before I was released, she died of COVID. But what was surprising for me and what upsets me most about her passing with the COVID is because when it first started in March, no one knew what it was about. It was panic. Everybody was, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Nobody knows how you get it. And if anyone coughed, sneezed, or even looked like they might have been sick, then you were quarantined with no explanation, no anything. And that was the procedure that they started doing. And what was quarantining looking like? Was it similar to when people are placed in solitary confinement? That's exactly what it is. It's in the same building, and it's exactly the same as solitary confinement. If you had any any sign of a symptom, you are quarantined, which in the beginning, it was solitary confinement. But then when a large majority of the facility began to show signs, they began to house you in the field house, which is the gymnasium. Hmm. They were putting people in the gym, closing down whole units and housing them there because more people were contracting the COVID. Hmm. Right. So it almost transitioned from extreme isolation to, well, it sounds like all of these people who showed symptoms were basically getting clumped together. Absolutely. So you go in on Monday because you had symptoms and it's people who have been there since last Monday who have symptoms. Mm-hmm. But that was a week ago. Right. And in all fairness to the institution, uh, to the healthcare medical field, this was something that just happened. So right. no one was prepared for this. So everybody did everything that they could, the best that they could. Mm-hmm. And I believe now that it has mellowed out and it has hit a pattern of consistency. So that is not as chaotic as it was in the beginning. But as far as uh, my friend was concerned, this was still the beginning stages. Mm -hmm. And as I said, any sign and you were quarantined in March. But by May, it was, well, do you think you're sick? Do you want to be quarantined? And of course, no one wants to be quarantined. Right. So she refused quarantine and she sat on the toilet and died. 
because they did not continue the procedure that they initially began. But she refused quarantine because you don't offer someone who's been in prison 40 years to go to segregation. Right. Because it's almost as if it was like being punished for presenting symptoms. Solitary confinement is not a good place. It's a punishment. Yes, absolutely. I mean, had she known, of course, that she would pass on, she would have went into the quarantine. But my point of the matter is they do not stick to the procedures and the routine when it's inconvenient for them Mm -hmm. because so many people had gone on quarantine and it was half the population or majority of the population, you know, by units were quarantined. So now since we're running out of space, it's like, do you want to go into quarantine? We we know you might need to go into quarantine, and that's what we were doing yesterday. But today, we're just going to say, do you want to go into quarantine? Wow. So it seems like they're basically like wishy-washy in terms of how they provide health care. Because in that instance, like you said, they were initially requiring people to go into quarantine until they started to run out of room, and then it suddenly became a choice for individuals to go into quarantine or not. Absolutely. Wishy-washy is a nice word, young lady. Yeah. (laughs) And it's only wishy-washy in their benefit. Only wishy-washy in their benefit. Mm -hmm. So just like with the feet. Now you don't have to give me medication. You don't have to keep seeing me because you've laid all responsibility in my lap. So I need to keep my stress levels down. I need to do this to maintain. You no longer have responsibility for that. So that is how it is, how it has been. And hopefully it will change, but it has been like that in the entire time that I was incarcerated. When I first went to prison, the facility held at the max 800 women. And now they have opened up what used to be the men's facility and basically paved a road between the two prisons and made it one prison. So now there are approximately at the max 3,000 women. And they are still with this same number of people, same number of doctors, nurses, and all of this, the same clinic, all of that's the same, the same psychiatrist, 
the, you know, the same amount, the same number, the same building. And that has not increased. So you went from 800 women to 3,000 women, but you have not increased the resource. Do you feel that the conditions in which you were incarcerated, like, for example, the food or where you were sleeping or, you know, just the overall environment, do you feel like there is a connection, in your opinion, between these factors and your health? Yes, absolutely. The food that you receive is... It looks good on paper, on the menu. When people see it, they're like, oh, well, y'all have fresh fruit as an option for the meal. But they don't tell you the only fruit that we receive is an apple. And in the summer months or in season, uh, a banana. Hmm. So you don't receive fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, plays a very large role on the things that you eat. You eat a lot of things that are high in starch and milk is at its lowest grade. It's usually like powdered milk that they've mixed and made. So... Imagine trying to live 34 years off of powdered milk. Right. I just don't think that that's quite healthy. Yeah. How is it different now that you're on the outside? Like, what kinds of foods have you been able to incorporate into your diet to eat more nutritiously? Everything. <laughs> Everything. I stay on the fresh fruits and the vegetables. I love vegetables. And I'm naturally thin. I'm naturally thin. And I was 115 pounds when I went into prison. But then again, I was 17 years old and I stand six feet tall. So they always said, oh, you're underweight, you're underweight, you're underweight. So what they did was gave me a detail or assignment for a double portion of the food that they served. So now I'm getting two scoops of mashed potatoes uh -huh. and two scoops of rice and trying to build up my weight. Mm hmm so when I left the prison, I weighed 240 pounds and immediately I dropped the weight off when I was released. Mm -hmm. And I went from 240 to 160. And was that a conscious decision of wanting to lose weight? Absolutely not. It changed with the eating habits. Mm -hmm. Because now I'm I'm able to eat the broccoli and the, the beans, string beans and different things like that. And um, I'm able to get juice and, you know, but the doctor, being a doctor, was concerned about that. So right. she tested me for any and everything that she thought 
could possibly be the reason for what she called dramatic weight loss. Right. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with me. I am healthy. Yeah, that's great. So she says, as long as I maintain this 160 and it doesn't go down any further, then I'm fine. So I appreciate, you know, the medical attention as to compare to what I got. That to me is one of the differences, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the way you eat and then you, you're not moving around a lot. You have a routine, but you're not active. And then coupled with the eating habits, because all we do is eat potato chips and ding dongs and, you know, so, so, You didn't really have a whole lot of control over what you could eat or who you could see for health concerns, but what did you feel like you had a sense of autonomy over while you were inside, you know, in terms of taking care of yourself? I would say very little. I can't say absolutely zero because then I would be lying. However, they call it self-medicating. When you diagnose yourself and you decide, you know, so you're going to take the Alka-Seltzer or you're going to take the Tylenols. When you're trying to take care of yourself, you're like... So did you have the access to those resources for free or did you have to pay for those? No, you have to purchase those things. Um, like I said, the resources are so slim to none, but there are resources which you have to purchase. So there would be things like Tylenol, muscle rubs, and um, paws or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So... How did you decide when to use your money to buy these things to help you, quote unquote, self-medicate? Everyone wants to be as healthy as possible. Mm -hmm. But the long-termers, the people who have more time or are going to be in the facility for longer periods of time, they jail differently than short timers that are passing through. Uh-huh. Short timers are more into the snacks and the hygiene products as to where the long termers are more into the medical things that you can receive to keep yourself healthy because they know that this is going to be needed. And we are as long-termers had medical bags. So, you know, something would go wrong with someone and here we, you know, this is do-it-yourself kit. So you come out with your medical bag and, you know, you got all kind of stuff. Put a little Blistex on that or do this with that. Mm Because Blistex, I think, is for like chapped lips. But because it has the medication in it, We use it for other things like blisters or sores and cuts and 
different things like that. So that's how we, you know, get through. So you kind of had to just basically use what you had and use it in different contexts, however you could, so that it helped, even if it wasn't the right resource for what you needed it for. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We've been talking a lot about the physical health effects of incarceration and what that's been like. And I was wondering, how is your experience mentally of being incarcerated when you were there? You know, going from being a teenager to being an adult, how is that experience like for you in terms of your mental health? I feel like I coped a lot better with the physical than I did with the mental. One of the first things that the psychiatrist told me when I entered into the system is that incarceration is a entirely separate world. Mm-hmm. And what happens is people get stuck mentally at the age they enter. So she basically was telling me mentally I would be stuck at 17. I refused to allow that to happen. However, what she said is absolutely true. It is absolutely true. And I'm not even going to try to like in no shape or form discredit her from that. Because even now, being released, I'll get ready to do something and I have to tell myself, you're not 17. Or I'll look at something and I have to tell myself, you're not 17. Mm -hmm. Even though you know you're aging, you're, you're looking at yourself every day, you're aging and Mentally, you know, you've just gone through another birthday. So it's not as if you still think you're 17. Right. However, somewhere, for whatever reason, you have to constantly remind yourself that you are not the age or in the place that you were, regardless of how much education, what, you know, how much reading or whatever it is you learn, there is still a space for whatever reason. I'm not a therapist either, but for whatever reason, there is still that space that you have to continuously remind yourself is not yesterday. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. That was actually very powerful to hear you say it in that way. It's also at the same time kind of hard to wrap my head around just because obviously I've never been in that situation and it definitely feels like I can more easily reflect constantly on how I'm growing and changing each year of my life. Whereas for you, when you were stuck in that environment for so long with not a lot of stimulation to recognize the fact that you were growing, 
it it just sounds very difficult to come to terms with. And you don't want to be a 50-year-old reminding yourself that you're not 17. Mm-hmm. You know, even in like looking at fashion and, you know, music and different things like that, that's that's what a 17-year-old would wear, not a 50-year-old. But you have to constantly remind yourself of this. So that was like one of the hardest things for me mentally is to try to keep up with the times and not get stuck in what was and try to live in what actually is. Right. And what are some of the tools that you've been using for yourself to kind of help you cope with that? You just do it. You just say, you just look at that spaghetti strap, shirt, blouse, and say, now, girl, you know you cannot wear that. You are not 17. <laughs> you can't put that on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you just basically, you have to do it and you have to accept it. The first step would be accepting. Accepting that you are, because we all age. You guys are aging. Everyone's aging. Everyone's going forward. But to be in a place where you're aging, but you're not going forward. It's like, you know, a struggle. I'm no Mm -hmm. longer at the miniskirt age, the strap up heels and all that. I can't do all that, you know, and even though I'm like, basically stand around fashion is like that for everything. Mm-hmm. Even the food you eat. Like they serve a lot of tomato products. They serve a lot of things with starch, a lot of tomato products. And as you get older, you can't eat those things. You know, people have all kind of heartburns and all kind of problems as you, you know, so even in the eating where I used to smash a big thing of chili or spaghetti or something like that. I can't do that now. Mm-hmm. However, if I don't want to be hungry, that's all I have because this is what they're serving. You know, so it's like mentally, you know, that this chili is getting ready to mess you up. You know this is getting ready to mess you up, but it's either don't eat it and be hungry or eat it and suffer through. Right. So it's like you have this awareness of the things that are changing inside of you, both physically and mentally, but you're kind of just trapped and you can't really do anything about it. Whereas For people on the outside, they have that option of at least reflecting. Even if growing up and growing older is hard to cope for anyone in general, but I feel like when you don't have an environment that allows you to at least cope with this idea of growing older in a normal way, it's just even more difficult to have to go through that entire process of mental realization. 
That's exactly what I was trying to say. Yes. So most people incarcerated are there for their own behavior and they suffer through behavior problems and addictions and things like that. I fortunately didn't have the addiction problem, but I still had issues. Mm -hmm. And growing up inside of a facility where I started as a teenager, which was meant for adults, Mm -hmm. it was hard. Right. Because then I became the adult. And now I see other teenagers coming in, getting ready, you know, to do the same thing that I just had to go through. And even that in itself is hard. Yeah. I mean, but it's like, what do you do? What do you do? Nothing other than do it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So I have one last question for you. What are you most excited for now that you're home and you're going to college soon? What are you looking forward to most? I am most excited about freedom. Simply being able to make choices because I gave up the opportunity to make those choices when I went into the institution. And so now I'm once again able to make those choices. I'm I'm able to choose on any scale from the most minute to the more serious choices, the things that I would like to eat, do, where, you know, whatever choice it is, I get to make that choice. But I still have to remember I'm not 17. All right. Well, I think y'all know the drill by now. So let's get into some icebreakers. So, Luanda, I know that the last time that we talked to you, you mentioned how you love cooking. So for our first question, we wanted to ask you, what is your favorite dish to cook and what's your favorite to eat? Well, a lot of my cooking skills were developed in the institution with the use of microwave. So I've done a cookbook Hmm. and I'm trying to actually start my own business, which is a food truck, which caters to the meals that we make inside the prison. And I'm finding that cooking out here is a lot different on the range or the stove or whatever it is you guys call it. Yeah. So I'm basically reinventing and redoing and experimenting and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really having a good time with trying to figure it out because these 
items out here, there's such a choice. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just basically that's it. I don't have any particular meal that I um like. I just like making them all. <laughs> I like making them all, experimenting, trying to figure out what works best and what the people are going to like. Yeah. I'm really excited for this food truck of yours. Oh, I, I, you and me both. <laughs> yeah, that's really awesome. And I cannot wait for it as well. Um, so for our next question, if you had only three words to describe yourself, what would they be? Oh, Lord, three words. Okay, let's see here. Oh, my goodness. The first would have to be resilient. Because mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And second would be, I don't know. I don't know. This is kind of, this is a vain question, young ladies. Um, let me see. No, it's not meant to be vain. It's meant to be exciting. <laughs> uh, right now at this point, inquisitive Ooh, I like it's like yeah. I want to know so much about everything I know yeah. that I can't give back the time that was spent mm-hmm. which you know it's all right it's done it's over we, mm-hmm. we're moving on so inquisitive because I I want to know and some things I need to know yeah, yeah, I love that one. So, um, I have no idea about the third one. Hmm. How about energetic? Yes. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> and you know, even you know, I'm really not, but I am, but I'm not <laughs> trying to do the dating thing. Uh-huh. But nice. it's like <laughs> once again, I have to remember I'm not 17. So I be looking and I like to roller skate Ooh. and I'm actually very, yes, I'm actually very good at it. Yeah. But, um, I'm a lot more energetic than I see a lot of people. My, in my age group, it's like, they're like roller skating you're 52 you're more energetic yeah, than me well, you know, i can't even <laughs> roller skate <laughs> yeah. they're they're like oh and you're you're kind of good at this too yeah so it's like i want to you know i like to walk and yeah. be active and move around and stuff because i haven't been doing a lot of that for 34 years right. so um yes energetic i like that so what are my three <laughs> words you got resilient, inquisitive, and energetic. That would be me. Yep. <laughs> All right. So for our last question, if you had your own late night talk show, who would you invite as your first guest? Oh, my goodness. Huh. I for years watched Oprah. Mm-hmm. And I loved Oprah. Yeah. I still love Oprah. But um, I watched her because she's her first year she started was my first year of incarceration. So I watched her throughout my whole incarceration and was glad to see her move on to her own show, which we couldn't get the channel. So that's what made me not uh, be able to continue to watch her. 
but mm-hmm. I think it would probably maybe Oprah because mm-hmm. she, you know, has so much knowledge about so many things as mm-hmm. to where most people are simply well versed in their particular field. Yeah. And they may know a few other things, but she she knows a lot about a lot of different things. So I would like that. I love that. Yes. Oprah would be my answer. <laughs> That's a solid <laughs> answer. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all the questions that we have for you. Thank you so, so much for coming on today, Lawanda. It was such a pleasure to meet you. And we had such a great time speaking with you and learning from your experiences. And we appreciate so much that you were willing to share them with us. Um, We wish you all the best. And I hope you have the best time in college. And I can't wait to come to your food truck one day. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Next time, we'll be delving into how LGBTQI individuals experience the criminal legal system. Until then. Women's Health Incarcerated can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. To view our transcripts, learn more information about the intersection between the incarceration system and healthcare, or find different ways that you could get involved, please visit www.winkthemovement.org. That's www.whincthemovement.org.